0: You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending August 14th, 2015. And welcome back. This is our Friday recap of some of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news, helping you stay caught up on the most important acquisition-related developments, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dara Curran, news writer and content developer. My colleague, Bill Ulver, will be back with us next week. Just a quick reminder that you can now find and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Find us by searching on ASI Government or by the title of the podcast, On The Go with VAO. Let's get started with headlines. Senators Orrin Hatch and Tom Carper have introduced legislation that would involve Agency Inspectors General and the Government Accountability Office in ensuring agencies are using robust information security practices to protect classified and personally identifiable information. The Watchdog organizations would be required to make regular reports to Congress on their agency's cybersecurity posture, and GAO would be tasked with identifying government-wide roadblocks to stronger information security. The Office of Management and Budget this week released expected guidance to agencies on measures to take to improve their cybersecurity protections in acquisition. The draft document describes recommended inclusions to strengthen contract clauses pertaining to contractor and subcontractor information systems. It outlines in detail recommended standards for security controls, reporting of data breaches and cyber incidents, standards for assessing information system security, and ensuring that continuous monitoring tools are in place. The Federal Acquisition Regulatory Council is expected to amend the FAR to include related contract clauses. The guidance also urges agencies to strategically use due diligence analyses in their assessment of risk and security. The General Services Administration is working on a pilot program that would pull both public and subscription-based information together and provide this to agencies as a shared service to help inform these evaluations. Feedback on the draft guidance is due by September 10th. The Department of Defense is working to consolidate and streamline the management structure of the Office of the Secretary of Defense and its associated defense agencies and field activities. Department officials have assigned a team of subject matter experts to assess optimal supervisory ratios and spans of control, create standardized frameworks, and develop plans that align with staff reduction requirements. These steps are anticipated to improve performance, efficiency, and realize savings. In fact, a 2014 study by the Defense Business Board estimated the department could save between $5 billion and $8 billion a year by taking similar steps. Federal agencies can do more to consistently seek discounts, assess pricing, and maximize competition when making purchases through the General Services Administration's Federal Supply Schedules Program, according to a Government Accountability Office assessment. Though GAO found most obligations in fiscal year 2014 had been competed, agencies received three or more quotes on just 40% of those obligations, and the number of potential vendors varied quite drastically from schedule to schedule. Agencies did not always seek out discounts from schedule prices either, although that is a requirement for orders above $150,000. GSA has been working consistently to improve its real property portfolio by ranking its properties according to their productivity and expense to maintain, and prioritizing divestment from the ones that incur the greatest losses. However, a recent review by GAO found agency managers facing challenges that are beyond their control, such as real estate values and the pool of prospective tenants in smaller communities and rural areas. GAO advised GSA to assess what additional steps will be necessary to bring the portfolio to a sustainable level and review the measures it uses to rank and analyze its assets. Finally, GSA's 18F group has worked with the Public Building Service to launch a new tool aimed at helping agencies efficiently manage and track micro-purchases. Their new CommuniCart tool automates the purchase card approval process and will help ensure purchase cards are used only for valid purposes. The platform will be rolled out incrementally throughout PBS, beginning with the Great Lakes region. Joining us for today's discussion is a special guest. It is ASI's own Gladys Genus who we fondly call Gigi, an esteemed member of our inquiry team, helping to address your thorniest questions. She has served as a procurement analyst for the State Department and HUD, and after 30 years of government service, came to ASI, where she's been for seven years. She's got some great tidbits for us on a very timely topic. So, Gigi, it is that time of year when we're getting to the end of one fiscal year and the start of another. Do you have any thoughts on things people should be paying particular attention to during this transition.
1: Hi, Dara. Thanks for asking me to be part of this podcast. So, yeah, a transitioning between fiscal years can present some unique issues, and there are two I'd like to talk about today, bona fide needs and continuing resolution.
0: Oh, two biggies, most definitely. So, okay, without going into a huge discussion of the bona fide needs role because that is such a huge topic in and of itself, can you just briefly, you know, bring us up to speed on what it is that we're talking about?
1: Well, sure. Um, Basically, it's an appropriations law rule, not a FAR rule, that says that you uh, may obligate a fiscal year's appropriation only to meet a legitimate or bona fide need arising in the fiscal year for which the appropriation was made. So basically, it restricts this year's appropriated funds from being used to fund next year's requirements. And so that's why it's really something that comes into play towards the end of a fiscal year. Mm And you're right. You can spend a lot of time talking about this. (laughs) So so just remember the basic premise that you can't obligate this year's funds to pay for work that won't be performed until next year. And so I know you're saying, well, sure, that sounds easy enough, but it can definitely get complicated.
0: I was totally not thinking that sounds easy enough because I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> there is not this big concrete wall that runs through the middle of one, you know, financial year and the next. There's going to be kbs, and nuances like what you you're going to order supplies um, at the end of the fiscal year that are actually going to get delivered in the next fiscal year. You have services that are ongoing that go across fiscal years.
1: Yeah, and those those are two great examples of specific situations with the bona fide need rule. So, for supplies, you know, it's okay to use this fiscal year's funds for supplies that won't be delivered until the next fiscal year if the items are needed but because you might have a long lead time, they can't be delivered until the following fiscal year. So when you're buying supplies and you're thinking about the bona fide needs rule, you really need to think about the the necessary order lead time, the extent to which those supplies are consumable, like gasoline, for example, and the appropriate stock level that you need to maintain.
0: Oh, my gosh. And I'm just thinking about when I go to Costco right now and how I have to find space in all of my cupboards for that. Okay, I probably not an allowable thing for government personnel to do. So but now services, those are always going to be a conundrum, right, because that's going to be you have
1: severable
0: and then non-severable, right?
1: Yeah, you do. And you really have to understand the distinction between the two. So for services that are non-severable, and that means they just represent a single undertaking like the development of a report, you can obligate the funds of this fiscal year to cover the services to be performed under the entire contract, even if parts of those services are going to be performed during or even beyond the next fiscal year. So the entire non-severable service is considered a bona fide need of the fiscal year in which the agency awards the contract. Okay. Now, severable services, which are services that are continuing and recurring in nature, uh, think lawn maintenance, janitorial, guard services, Mm -hmm. you know, where the agency is getting a, a benefit at the time the services are being performed, those are a little bit different. So when you're buying several services, agencies can use one-year funds to enter into contracts that cross fiscal years and that obligates the funds of the fiscal year in which the contract was awarded for the entire one-year period of performance. <laughs> <laughs> so now that makes sense, but you know because mm-hmm.
0: this is such a big and potentially confusing area, I do want to let our audience know we do have an entire advisory publication that is devoted to this. Uh, it covers supplies and services and some other unique situations. We will be including this as a hyperlink uh, in the usual recap that we provide you um, for what we've covered uh, in in the podcast. Okay, so. To move on from that, it certainly does look like we are going to be heading towards another continuing resolution for fiscal year 2016. I guess that's kind of become pretty old hat at this point for everyone, (laughs) given that, you know, getting a budget in on time, uh, we're not even talking blue moon stuff for that. That's the exception rather than the rule.
1: Yeah, that's very sad, but true. It, It has become the exception rather than the rule. And. You know, operating under a CR should be pretty commonplace by now for most of our audience. But you know, interestingly enough, we do still get some questions now and again on what you can and can't do. So I just wanted to highlight a couple of reminders. Yes, refresh. Um, so first, the the first thing you want to keep in mind is that a, a continuing resolution or CR often limits the number of days for which funding is available. So you might get a CR that provides a week of funding. You might get a CR that provides four or five months of funding. It it really is going to depend on what Congress feels like doing. So when this is the case, procurement requests need to contain language that advise that funding is being provided through the end date of the CR and that additional funding will be made available when the regular appropriation bill is passed or incrementally if there are successive CRs, like we've had years where we've had one CR after another after another.
0: Right, yeah. So now that also means, though, you might find yourself funding incrementally some of these contracts. Now, this this is the thing, right? Incrementally funding contract types is going to be different than cost reimbursement, right?
1: Yeah, the the far currently talks about incrementally funding only cost reimbursement contracts. It doesn't talk about the ability to incrementally fund fixed price or time and materials or other contract types. But a couple of agencies have language in their acquisition regs that allow them to incrementally fund other contract types besides cost reimbursement. So our take here at ASI is that it's allowable to do that as long as the services are separable. There's a bona fide need. Your own agency regulations don't prohibit you from doing incremental funding, and the resultant contract contains any FAR or agency-specific clauses that are necessary to limit the government's financial liability.
0: Okay, well, that is an important list of (laughs) (laughs) check-offs to remember. So, and now you uh, you can't incrementally fund non separable contracts, right, as you said before. Okay, so obviously you can award contracts uh, or orders during the CR, um, but what about the FAR language that has to go into the contract then?
1: Well, the, the FAR doesn't currently have any clauses specific to funding under CRs, which, you know, given that it is so commonplace now, it would probably be a really good idea for the FAR Council to think about doing that, but so far they haven't. So uh, a lot of agencies use a variation of some kind of availability of funding clause. Um, Specifically, there's two in the FAR right now, 52-232-18, availability of funds, or 52-232-19, availability of funds for the next fiscal year. Now, we don't recommend using either of those clauses as is, because they don't contain some specific information that's necessary. Clauses need to expressly limit the government's financial obligation under the contract to the amount of funding made available under the CR, and to expressly limit the contractor's authorization to perform under that obligation to not exceed the time frame of the CR. Uh, the clause should identify that neither the funding limit nor the performance time frame may be exceeded without explicit written direction of the CO. And as new budget authority is passed, the contract then has to be modified to add any additional money that's going to be covered by the new budget authority.
0: So you could find yourself issuing a whole series of modifications if we have mm-hmm. this whole CR mm-hmm. after CR situation. My gosh, that really imposes a, workload, a huge workload on contracting officers. I, I, I guess the same thing is going to apply to options, right?
1: Yes. Um, if the option exercises for several services that will have to be incrementally funded under a CR, a clause, you know, as we just discussed, has to be included in the basic contract and has to be cited to expressly limit the government's obligation and the contractor's performance un- until the contracting officer provides that additional funding and directs continuing performance. So if you don't have a clause like that in the contract, then the contracting parties, that is the government and the contractor, are going to have to execute a bilateral modification that incorporates a suitable clause into the contract either before or concurrent with the exercise of the option.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. I remember from the webinar you did last month on options, you Mm -hmm. cannot make any changes when you exercise an option in order to be able to exercise it unilaterally. That's right. Well, Mm -hmm. Gigi, we really (laughs) appreciate these good tips on your end requirements. Also going to include a link to that webinar that Gigi did, okay, for additional reference. And for our listening audience, we do have an email compiled that we're uh, going to be I'm not actually sure what the deadline That is going to be coming out either very shortly if it will not be coming out on the very day of this podcast here. So uh, that is going to have links to various documents, such as the fide Needs Advisory we talked about, and provide much more information on these topics. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you are a VAO subscriber, you will be able to find links to the headlines that we've recapped, as well as the resources we've mentioned, on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. In that same location, you can also provide us with your comments. We'd love to hear your feedback on the format, content, or anything else you would like to tell us. A final thank you to our resident expert, Gigi, for her special appearance today. And thanks so much to our listeners. Tune in again on August 21st when Bill will be back with us for the next weekly news recap. Bye-bye.